people today. So they'll have a time in God's Word in the upper room. Young people can head on out for time in the Word of God today. All right, young people to the upper room. Pile them in there today. Looks like they're going to have a good number. Exciting time for the saucers. Maybe we should pray for them. All right. <laughs> You're there in Hebrews chapter 13, right? Hopefully. And uh, if it sounds familiar, it should be, because there are some verses. Um, I know we skipped one little phrase, and I keep getting criticized for that by my loving friends out there. But let's go ahead and we'll say, uh, we'll go ahead and say the whole verse, both of the verses together, all right? So say the reference, if you would. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, and then we'll read what is in front of us. Join with me, if you would. Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And he deserves all glory and all honor and all praise because of what he's done, because of what he's doing today. And we're going to learn more about that in Hebrews chapter 13 this morning. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. I need your help. And uh, your, uh, those that are here need your spirit to work, to help make clear the word of God to them. And I pray that you'd stir our hearts with the truths that are found in this Hebrews chapter 13. May we understand that your will uh, is, is laid out many times and in many ways in the scripture. And that there are things you want us to do, but that we can't do it in our own strength and in our own power. And today I pray that there would be people in this room who will determine that they're going to fulfill your will that they're going to allow you to live your life in and through them, that they might live to the glory and honor of God. If there be any here this morning that are unsaved, that today your spirit would work in their heart and convict them of their need for Jesus Christ, that they'd realize today what Jesus did for them and become part of his family. And we'll thank you for what you'll do, how you'll work, and how you open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your law. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone told this story. They said, my friend Donna had never been on a rafting trip before, but someone gave her one of those as a gift, and she felt obligated to go, even though she had no desire whatsoever to be out on a river and go on a trip like that. Well, she didn't realize when she became part of this, this river trip that her group would be rafting uh, on, a, on an area that, well, it starts out like a river of glass. I mean, it's really nice. But then, um, then it would go to a sudden change to a violence of class three rapids. And at that point, they called it, by the way, simply the surprise. And then ultimately, through the most challenging a part of the ride and most dangerous level, a white water trip, which took them through class five rapids, and you can't get any worse than that. Well, thankfully, he wrote, there was an outfitter that prepared them for this uh, perilous journey as far as she was concerned. He coached them as to what to expect on the river, where to sit on the raft, how to paddle in various situations. He equipped them with a life jacket, a paddle, a helmet, now, Donna wasn't particularly thrilled with her helmet because it had a dent that was... ...that included food, basic medical supplies, anything they might need. And best of all, he was with them on all the way. He went on the trip. They had a wild ride, but they made it. Even Donna... And then he went on and said, you know, the outfitter makes the all the difference on the river. 
but the outfitter makes all the difference in life as well. You see, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you have no one less than the God of the universe as your outfitter. And Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21 tell us that very fact. Share with us the wonderful truth that God is the one who navigates life with us. That God is the one who can help us in the midst of life, and he's the one who can, he knows everything that we need to make it. And he will make sure that we have everything that we need. And we learn in Hebrews chapter 13, he goes with us, verse 5. He never leaves nor forsakes. So when you're on the rapids of life, or when you're on the smooth parts of life, God is with you each and every step of the way. And that is the truth that we basically learned two weeks ago from our memory verses in Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. Now, while we looked at that text and we focused on that, there's more to the story. You see, in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, don't stand alone. We shared the fact that uh, some believe, verses 20 and 21, being a benediction, it's a closing prayer, it's a prayer that the, the, the writer of Hebrews makes, that this prayer really is based upon the entire book of Hebrews. Now, you ought to be thankful this morning. I'm not going to preach the entire book of Hebrews because you'd be here until like next Thursday, I think, or something to that effect, or maybe a couple weeks from Thursday because you know I can get really elongated and 13 chapters would take a long time. So today, we're going to have opportunity. I'm not doing it, all right? I can see some panic on some faces, all right. Today, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 13 because there, without a doubt, these verses do point back to the, the, what precedes them. In fact, verse 20 is really a continuation of thought as he prays, begins praying, now the God of peace. So it's clear that what he's saying is not something that stands alone, but something that's based upon what has been said. He has been telling the believers at the beginning of chapter 13 a number of things they need for life that are part of the will of God. And in verse 20 and 21, his prayer is, God, help these people to do this because they can't do it on their own. And he knew that the God of heaven is the outfitter, that he is the one who knows what the trip is all about, will explain the trip, and will go with us through the trip and meet every need as we go through life. So today, I'd like to challenge you by verses 1 to 19 in this chapter and help you to see what God expects and what God wants from your life, and then to understand once again, he is the provider. So I have seven things that start with the letter P that will help you to ponder what this passage is all about. So if we're going to understand it, and if I'm going to get through seven things, and actually the last point has like seven things as well, if I'm going to get that far, see, I have you panicking again, don't I? And you're thinking, what time are we getting out for lunch? I'll get you out by one or two at least. We're, we're going to be good. All right. No, we are not one of those kind of churches, all right? We don't meet until three o'clock. But let's see what God has for us. First thing I want you to see is God has a purpose for your life. Let's see our purpose. And that is actually in our main text, the verses that we're learning for this month. You know what God has, what God's desire is for your life? It's found really at the start of verse 21 that God would make you perfect in every good work to do his will. God wants you to do his will. That is your life. That is your ministry if you're part of the family of God. If you're saved this morning, your job, your responsibility in life, I mean, if we wanted to tie it and, and make it in one simple statement, it's to do the will of God. That really is it. It's a, that's it in a nutshell. And he shares in verse 21, not only to do his will, but to work in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. You're to please God. That your life is to fulfill God's will, which ultimately will bring honor to him and will please him and lift up his name as it rightfully deserves. And so our purpose in life is to live every moment, every day, doing the will of God, pleasing God, praising him by doing the things he would have us do. And that should be our primary aim and goal in life. And if, quite honestly, you learn nothing else this morning than the truth of verse 21 and make it yours, then your life will be absolutely changed because that is God's purpose for you. I want you to also note that uh, there, there is a power mentioned in verses 20 and 21. So not only do we learn our purpose from the passage, but we learn about the power. We're told that the power to live this life 
And the only way we can do God's will in 2021 or God's will tomorrow or God's will in the next week is if God enables us. In verse 20, we read, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. Can't do it on your own. Look, look, this morning we're going to give you a list in Hebrews chapter 13 of things that God wants a Christian to do. But here's the, the fact of the matter. If you do them in your own strength, you're not doing God's will. According to this passage, and this is the prayer that he makes as he comes to the end, he says, here are things that God wants you to do, but understand this. I'm praying that God would enable you and give you the power to do this because you can't do it on your own. The truth is, I cannot do the will of God without God. I cannot glorify God without God. I need his strength. I need what we heard this morning about in Sunday school. I need his grace. I not only need the grace of God to enable me and give me strength uh, to become part of the family of God because it's only by grace that a person is saved through faith, but I need the grace of God to help me and enable me each step of the way when I ride the rapids of life. I cannot live for God and do God's will unless I have his power. So we find our purpose in verse 21. We find the power that is present in order to help us do that in verses 20 and 21. And these two points just preach what I preached two weeks ago and spent 45, 50 minutes preaching on. And I did it in five. We're good. All right, so the third point of our outline is real simple. I wanted you to see the provider or the provision. Jesus is mentioned verses 20 and 21. You see that? He's called the great shepherd of the sheep. He cares for his own. And he's praying to God, and he's praying to Jesus Christ, who, by the way, are one and the same. And he's asking, he's saying, look, your people need your strength. We need you to make us perfect in order to do your will, God, and I am praying for that, and I'm asking that you would do this, this work. And so we could see him as the provider in those verses. But it's interesting, because in verses 8 to 12 of this passage, there's kind of like a little pause in what's being written. He gives instructions in verses 1 to 7. In verses 8 through 12, he talks about Jesus, and then he comes back in verse 13, and he starts talking again about what God expects, sorry, verse 15, and starts talking again about what God wants from our lives. And in that little pause, he takes time to share with us great truths about Jesus. First of all, we know he's God from the passage that we just read in those verses. But we find that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's a verse that's worth hanging on to. You know, the same God, the same Jesus Christ that provided salvation 2,000 years ago is still providing salvation today. You know that? The same God who has enabled Christians from day one of their salvation to live the Christian life and to die faithful to Jesus Christ, that same Jesus Christ is alive today and he's working. He's the outfitter. He is the one that is present with his people. He's the same yesterday, he is the same today, and he is the same forever. But the focus really isn't necessarily on that as he begins in verse 9 when he says, Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them, which have been ex exercised uh, thereby. He says, um, I, sorry, that which have the exercise therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. In these verses, he takes some time to go back and do what he's been doing through the whole book of Hebrews, and we don't have time to preach the whole book of Hebrews. But he's been talking about how Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He was. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus Christ, said these words, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In that simple statement, he made a number of claims about Jesus. One of the claims he made about Jesus is that 
that Jesus was sent to take care of the sins of the world. Like in the Old Testament practices, the book of Hebrews is all about this, the priests would offer a lamb. They would offer a sacrifice for sins. So Jesus Christ came himself to be the ultimate sacrifice, the only sacrifice, the one and only sacrifice that was needed. Hebrews is all about that. And he's explaining that in these verses. And what he ultimately says in verses 8 through verse, uh, verse 13 is this, that Jesus gave his own blood. Verse 12 really tells it, that he might sanctify the people. Hey, I want you to know this morning, if you've been saved, if you're part of the family of God, that, that Jesus Christ saved you by his blood. He sanctified you. He made you pure, clean, and holy. Now, here's the honest truth. We don't always live that way. Christians aren't perfect. He wants us to. But salvation has nothing to do with what we do or how we live. Salvation has to do with what God, Jesus Christ, accomplished when he died on the cross. You see, all men, just like in the Old Testament sacrifices, the Jews would come, they'd bring a lamb because they were sinners. And they brought this lamb as a sacrifice for sin. And the lamb's throat was slit, the blood was, was shed, it was offered on the altar to God, but that blood never forgave sins. It pictured something. It pictured someone that would come. And that's what he's talking about in these verses. Someone that would come and provide a way for your sin to be forgiven. So that this morning, doesn't matter what nationality you are. Doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter uh, what your financial standing is. Doesn't matter who you are. That you this morning can have your sins forgiven and become part of the family of God. That's why Jesus came. And he accomplished that work. And it's talked about in these verses that Jesus shed his blood, that he might sanctify people, that he might cleanse them from their sins so that men could live to the, do the will of God and live to please God. And the truth of the matter is it all starts there. Jesus is the provider. He is the provision for eternal life. He paid the price. He paid the price for you. Came across a story told, and it's a true story. October 8th, 1862, Provost Marshal William Strachan, I believe it is, published a notice to the Confederate Colonel Porter that unless a missing local man, Andrew Allsman, was returned within 10 days, 10 Confederate soldiers that were held as prisoners would be executed. Ten days lapsed. No reply. Actually, there's a reason why they believed no, there was no reply. They thought Alsman was already dead, but that wasn't known at the time. On day nine, the Confederate prisoners already in custody were selected. Here are the names. Willis Baker, Thomas Humston, Morgan Bixler, Herbert Hudson, John Wade, Marion Lair, Thomas Sidner, Eliezer Lake and William T. Humphrey. These men were informed that unless Mr. Allsman was returned to his family by one o'clock the next day, they would be shot. Reverend Green remained with these men that night as their spiritual advisor and endeavored to prepare them for the coming execution. 11 o'clock on day 10, three government wagons drove to the jail. They carried 10 Rough board coffins. The men were escorted from the prison. They were seated, one on each coffin. That would be a real encouraging thing, wouldn't it? A guard accompanied them, and the cavalcade started for the fairgrounds, which was about a half mile out of town. The ten coffins were placed in a row, six or eight feet apart. Proper spacing. <laughs> I shouldn't have brought that up, should I? Okay, um... Uh, 30 soldiers of the Union Army um, were drawn up in a single line facing the row of coffins. The doomed men knelt on the grass between their coffins and the soldiers while Reverend Rhodes offered up a prayer. At the conclusion of the prayer, each prisoner took his seat at the foot of his coffin facing the men with the muskets. A hundred spectators had gathered to witness the scene. The stillness of death pervaded the place. The officer in command now stepped forward and was ready to give a word of command, but he was stopped. 
One of the 10 men originally on the list to be executed received a last minute reprieve, William T. Humphrey. Someone heard that, a gentleman heard that Humphrey was under the sentence of death and a young man by the name of Hiram Smith came forward. He said, I'm unmarried, I don't have family, and I'm asking permission to take the place of Humphrey because it would be better for a single man to die than a man that has a family. He died in his place. They tell us if you go to the cemetery of the Mount Pleasant Church in Mount Salem, you'll find a stone that has been erected with this inscription. This monument is dedicated to the memory of Hiram Smith, the hero who sleeps beneath the sod here was shot in Palmyra, October 17, 1862, as a substitute for William T. Humphrey, my father. You say, what a selfless act. What a noble deed. And certainly it was. As far as we know, this young man didn't even know the man that he died for, except for the fact that he had a family. But a far greater deed took place outside of the city of Jerusalem one day when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised one from the Old Testament, gave his life and shed his blood, not for the sins of one, but for the sins of many for the sins of all who will come to him by faith and receive the gift of eternal life that he offers by his shed blood. And Jesus paid the price so that every man could be sanctified. And that is the wonderful truth that's brought out in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 8 to 12. And we're reminded of the fact that Jesus Christ, once for all, paid the price so that, here's the truth, Stephen M. Schwanke doesn't have to go to hell. And Raymond Umstead doesn't have to go to hell. And, and so that Esther Umstead doesn't have to spend eternity in a lake of fire. Nor does Jim Deals. Nor do the days. Because anyone who's willing to call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. This is the work of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you that it's the foundation that should drive every Christian to want to live to the glory of God and do his will. It also is the foundation that provides the power necessary to do the will of God and live pleasing to him. And so we have the provision uh, that was made or the provider we find as well that he's our pattern. Look at this passage again in verse 12. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. So not only does he use this to remind us in verses 8 to 12, Jesus died for us and he's given his life and you can have eternal life if you believe on him. He died to sanctify all men, anyone that will come to him by faith. Not only does the writer do that, but he reminds us that Jesus' example and his sacrifice, probably like Hiram Smith, well, far greater than that, but in a way, we need, or we need to live like Jesus Christ, and we need to follow his pattern, and we need to learn from him. The provider becomes the pattern in verse 13, and God tells us that the sacrifices needed to live the Christian life, to please God, to do his will, are based on the sacrifices he made for us and the command we have to follow in his steps. And as Jesus Christ was willing to suffer for us and make sacrifices for us, so God has called upon those who are part of his family because they've been forgiven, not to, in order to have forgiveness, because they've been forgiven by his blood. Now he asks us to live for him, and he becomes our pattern. Notice, if you would as well, our promise in verse 14 is interesting because he says, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. There's an interesting thing that's mentioned in these verses. There's another reason in verse 14 for the Christian to live according to the will of God and to please him. It's because this isn't our home. I, look, I, I love America. We're reminded how, how privileged we are to live in America. And I'm not... I'm, I'm patriotics. 
I'm not, I'm not like some people in government don't, that, uh, that want to denigrate our country. I believe we should show respect for it and be thankful that God's given us the freedoms we have. And I love, I love America. I love to be part of, of this place. I am thankful I live here. I'm thankful for the freedoms I enjoy. And I'm thankful that today we can meet together freely. There's a lot of countries where that isn't true and it's not possible. God has been very gracious to us. And I am wonderfully thankful to God for doing those very things. But listen, this isn't my home. There's coming a day when Jesus Christ will come again or when I'll go to see him. I don't know when that will be, but there's coming a day. And that's my home. According to the Bible, we're just pilgrims. We're just on a journey. Once you accept Christ as your Savior, it's just, it's just a matter of time until you go to be with him for all eternity. And that is our home, and that's what we're supposed to live for. And do you know that throughout the Bible, we find, even in the book of Hebrews, people who lived not with the mentality, hey, I got to live for things today, because Hebrews 13 is all about not living for things today. It's about living for things eternal and understanding we have a home in heaven. And you know what? This isn't our home. And so this promise that's given to us in verse 14, we don't have a continuing city. We don't have a place to call home right now. We seek one that, that is to come. And that is what we're supposed to live for. You say, did people really do that? Yes, Hebrews 11, just a few chapters back, the hall of faith, it's called by many. It says this, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed. You know what they confessed? That they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Peter wrote these words, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. In this passage, where Christians are told, live right, he gives us a reason, because we got a home we're living for and a home we're headed for, and we need to live in light of that place, a, a perfect place, a wonderful place, a place that God has prepared, a place that is sinless, and right now he wants me to live in light of that truth. And so there is a promise of a coming home, and that should drive the way I live my life today. Then notice, if you would, verse 15, because after he tells us about this continuing city, or we don't have a continuing city. We don't have a place to call home. We have a place to come, though. He says in verse 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. And do you know what we're told here? We're told the same thing we're told in verse 21. Do you know what it is? I can't do it without Jesus Christ. I cannot live according to how Hebrews 13 lays out for me and glorify God without Jesus. It's by him I need to offer the sacrifice of praise. It's by him I need to live this life. It is the, he is the one who makes me perfect in every good work to do his will. I cannot live for God without, our help, without his help. He's our perfecter. He's our perfecter. So now we've laid everything out for you. There's six things that we've given. You say, I haven't gotten the six things, and I'm going to give them real quick. Our purpose, verse 21. Our power, verse 20 and 21. The provider or the provision for the ability to live this, verses 8 to 12, is Jesus. The pattern is Jesus Christ, verses 12 and 13. The promise we have in verse 14, that we have a home in heaven that we're to be living for, and Jesus is our perfecter. And the last thing is our plan. And this is where it gets long. Because in verses 1 to 7 and 15 through 17, God talks about the plan. Now, God's will is not accomplished because I make sacrifices and I work hard and I do this and I do that and I do this and I do that and God is pleased. Because the truth is, if I do this and I do that and I do this and I make this sacrifice, God isn't pleased because I did it in my own strength. Everything he's going to tell us to do we need to do it by the power that he gives and the grace and the strength that he gives. And it needs to be done in dependence upon him. And do you know, there are a lot of Christians, there are a lot of Christians today that make the standard of whether they're right with God based on certain things that they follow and that they do. They have the right dress, they have the right talk, they have the right this, they have the right that. They're doing everything God's told them to do, but the truth is they're doing it in their own strength. And if they are, then listen, God isn't the one being glorified. And this passage reminds us of that truth. So 
as we look at the plan that God has laid out and the things God wants, we shouldn't look at these things and say, okay, I got to do that. Oh, man, okay, I'll try. Because that's not the attitude we're supposed to have. The provider is here ready to meet the need and help us do every one of the things we're going to find in this list, in this plan that God has laid out for every Christian. So, it's impossible on your own, on your own, but it's not with God's help. What does he tell us to do? Well, he starts out right away and he, and he hits us right between the eyes with something that is sometimes hard to do. His will is brotherly love. Look in verse one. It's, hey, you can say it in four words. Let brotherly love continue. And you know, in four words, he said a lot. Um, first thing he said is that they already were loving. Isn't that a good thing? You know, sometimes we come to passages and we don't think about the obvious. He said, let brotherly love continue. And it's encouraging to note that these Christians were already doing what was right. They already were loving one another. But here's the truth. We never get to the place where we're perfect in this. There's always room to progress in brotherly love. You know, you can have the most loving church family. I think we have a, a loving church family, which I am very grateful for. And, and I, I, will, I will be the first and not the last to praise you for that. I'm thankful for the love God's people seem to have for one another. I think it's been exhibited in many ways in, in my life, just recently as we've had a few things going on uh, as far as health is concerned. And it's been, it's been seen over and over that God's people are very loving and caring. And I am so grateful for that. But you know what God tells me he wants me to be doing all the time is working at it. There's understanding that I may be good at brotherly love, but it's got to continue. And if it stops, it's going to hinder the work of God from being done and God's will from being accomplished. Jesus Christ stated clearly what, what would indicate to people that Christians are Christians. You know what it was? <laughs> not, not their haircut and not their dress. Although that's sometimes what we look at. That's sometimes all we can see. But God said, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. As the writer of Hebrews comes to the end of the book and he starts to talk about God's will, he starts by saying, let brotherly love continue. Brotherly love has to be worked at continually. It has to be improved. And here's the truth. As the more I surrender to God, the greater I'm going to find that I'm able to love other people. You know why? Because... According to Romans 5, the love of God will be shed abroad in my heart. So then I'm able to love God's people as I ought. And so let me ask you the question this morning. Have you fulfilled and are you fulfilling God's will because you have brotherly love? And will you have the attitude this morning that says, you know what, I'm going to keep working at that. And by God's grace, I'm going to ask him for strength to help me love God's people more. Let brotherly love continue. His will is something is found in verse 2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. His will is kindness, or we use the word hospitality. In Romans chapter 12, Paul wrote to the church and he said, distribute to the necessity of saints in Romans 12, 13. And then he said, we're supposed to be given to hospitality. That's showing kindness to God's people. It's showing kindness to others who are part of the family of God. Do you know most people reference when they talk about the angels, and I, I wish we had time to really, this passage alone could take weeks and weeks and weeks. I wish we had time to delve into it. Most refer to Abraham and Lot who entertained angels when in reality they didn't know for sure. I think they knew afterward, but they entertained angels. At least most writers tell us that. But that really isn't the point. The point in this passage is, we're supposed to show hospitality toward one another. And here's the challenge, okay? Are you listening this morning? Okay, this is for God's people. God's people shouldn't just come to church and leave church 
and never have anything to do with other believers. God's people are to get to know and to care for and seek to meet the needs of fellow believers. Church is not something I do. Church is supposed to be my life. Getting to know the people I'm going to spend eternity with. You and I, Brother Umstead, we're going to spend eternity together. I just thought about that. That just, that's just it's disturbing. Okay. Uh, it, it's not, <laughs> for both of us. <laughs> oh, man, we're going to have a good time, aren't we, when we get there? Yeah, okay. Um, but but the, the truth is we're going to spend eternity with, with those who are part of the family of God, and we're supposed to be loving them and caring for them now. And, and, and seriously, I, this is a, a challenge that should go out to every believer, whether you are, you are a member of this local church or not. Um, God hasn't called you to just come to church, sit in a pew or sit in a chair, and then go your way. God has called you to get involved in the lives of fellow believers and care for them. And you should do that. And if you, get, if you miss everything else, but you learn verse 2 and you strive as a believer to say, I am going to start showing concern and care for people in our church. I'm going to get to know some of them. I'm going to take them out to dinner. Or I'm going to have them over to my home. I'm going to seek to get to know people because that's what the church is about. It's about caring for one another. And I can't care for people unless I know them. And I can't show hospitality by just coming to church and sitting and leaving. I got to talk with them. I got to spend time with them. I got to get to know them. Because Christians are to show hospitality toward God's people. So let brotherly love continue. Show hospitality. That's part of, those are two of the things that God has planned. His will in, in chapter 13 and verse 3 is compassion. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them and with them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Now, his will is compassion. Do you know that this very minute, in many countries throughout our world, there are Christians being tortured for their faith? Yes, that's happening. There are Christians in Muslim countries that are, are, that are running for their lives right now, today, whose lives are on the line because they're part of the family of God and it's known. There are Christians throughout this world. There are a lot of Christians in China. China's been cracking down over the last year or so on those who are part of the family of God. Many pastors have been taken, pastors of home churches in China. They've been threatened. They've been, they've been punished because they have a church. There are people who are suffering for the cause of Christ. And I'm reminded that America's not as bad as I keep saying it is. Because we can still meet. And, and I don't have to worry about the police, although that could be coming in a few weeks. I don't have to worry about the police right now coming to my door and saying, you're the pastor of such and such a church, and we need to have a talk with you down at the station. I don't have to concern myself with those things, but I'm supposed to remember that there are Christians right now, this very moment, that are suffering for their faith, and I need to be concerned about that. And sometimes we don't even think about it. And not only that, but there are Christians who are suffering physically because that's what the end of the verse is talking about. And those Christians, I need to be concerned about. And they aren't overseas, they're in this church. People have physical difficulties, people who are having uh, medical needs that God's people should be concerned about. And you know, that's God's will. God's will is not for you to just come and sit at church. God's will is for you to be concerned about people at church. And people throughout this world who are struggling to live life for the glory of God, whether it's persecution from without or physical affliction within, and I care about them 
I pray for them, and I understand that I'm not alone. And our world is so self-centered that sometimes all we think about, well, I got my family, and I'm taking care of my family, and, and my family is the only one that's important. Well, your family's important, but God says others are. And if you're just living for them, you're not, you're not living as God wants you to live. Hey, you don't hear that preached in a lot of fundamental churches, but it's true. Your, your, your family is not the only one you're to care for. People in this building are who you're supposed to care for as well. And people throughout our world who also name the name of Jesus Christ and love him. And that is the command. And here's the truth. If I'm not doing that, then I'm not fulfilling God's will. His will is compassion. His will is purity. Wow, we need to preach a, we need to preach a whole series on this one. We just did, didn't we? Proverbs chapter 6, 7, and 8. 5, 6, and 7, sorry. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. His will is purity. The church at Thessalonica was told that the sanctification is God's will. And you know what sanctification is? Abstaining from fornication. Sex outside of marriage is sin. You need to hear that. Sex outside of marriage is sin. There's only one relationship where God has given people the right to enjoy physical contact and enjoyment of one another, and that is a husband and a wife and nothing else. Pornography on the internet is sin. Personal pleasure is sin. A man and a woman just living together because they're committed to one another is sin. And in churches, people won't even tell folks that, but God says it. Marriage is honorable. And the bed, the physical relationship that a husband and a wife has, you know what? That's right. It's wholesome. It's good. And they are to enjoy one another, but no one else. And God says, whoremongers and adulterers, God says, I'll take care of it. And that, my friends, is serious stuff. And if you think, well, I'm getting away with it and no one knows, it's not, it's not man who's going to take care of it. It says, God will judge. God expects you to be pure. And that isn't preaching that's, that's heard a lot anymore. But it's God's word. It's not mine. And it's God's thoughts, not mine. And we need to take seriously what God has said. The will of God is purity. His will is contentment. Verses 5 and 6, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. You know when he talks about never leaving or forsaking us? It's ultimately with this idea. If God's always with me, then what I, and, and he's always caring for me, and he is my outfitter. There we go, back to the illustration in the beginning. If God's my outfitter and he is on my, on my journey with me, then everything I have is what God has given me, so therefore I should be content. And not living for, I got to have this, and I got to have that, and man, I need this, and oh, I got to get, get this, and if I could just get here, and if I could just reach this, and if I could make this position, and living life where I'm just not content with what I have is ridiculous because God said he'll never leave me or forsake me. He's always with me, and I can be content. And by the way, I can be content in suffering because the next verse talks about that. You know, I can be content because God goes with me through the suffering. He, he endures it with me. He's, he's taking the pain with me. And so, so I can be content even in that situation. His will is contentment. His will is, verse 7, following those who have, who have paved the way before. It's easy to miss the message of verse 7. In fact, I thought verse 7 and verse 17 were one and the same in a sense. I thought verse 7 was telling us, hey, obey them that have the rule over you, in a sense. But it's not. He says, remember them that have the rule over you and have spoken unto you the word of God. And then look at the next three words and tell, them what they, tell me what they are. All right, you know what the message of verse 7 is? Follow the faith that you've been taught. Um, 
I, I hear young people say it all the time, well, I've got to pave my own way. And the idea is, well, I'm not going to listen to what my parents said. I'm not going to listen to what anyone else says, which is interesting because they're always listening to what everyone else says, and they're trying to be what everyone else says. But I just got to find my own way. And, and here's the truth. If you know a believer who loves God and is serving God, you've already found the way. You just need to follow it. You don't need to find your own way. These, these young people can find it in their mom and dad and should follow that. And, and so should any other children that are in a room and, and up there. If mom and dad are living it, they already have the pattern. They don't need to find their own way. They need to find God's way. And God's way is learning for those that have the rule and authority in your life. And if they're teaching the word and they're loving the word and they're faithful to the word, follow them. Do you know what new evangelicalism is all about? Churches all over our place are new evangelical churches. They keep changing their name, but that's what they were a number of years ago. And we just keep using the same name because you can change the name, but you're still the same thing. But you know what new evangelicals are doing? They basically say, hey, look, the old way of doing things, that's out. Let's just throw it out the door. The old way, it's old-fashioned, and no one, no one wants to follow that. Everyone wants things that are new, so we're going to find out what people want. That's what we're going to give them. And so, so now we don't have someone who leads songs because, well, that's authoritative. So we have, we have a worship team, and, and we have a bunch of people who get up, and they, they, they dance, and they, they gyrate, and they sing the songs with, with mics up to their mouth, and they do all sorts of things, and they bring in the band and everything else because, hey, that's what people want, and this is bringing people in, and this is reaching people, and this is what we need to do. You know what God says? God says, look, look at the people who have lived for God and have walked with God and have taught you the word of God and, and follow their pattern. There's no reason to change because they taught you the word. And this idea, we got to have everything new and we have to, we have to pave our own way is, is totally contrary to the whole tenor of Scripture, which is a faith that's passed on from generation to generation and, and godliness that's passed on from generation to generation as children see their parents live for God and as, as, as young people and as adults see a pastor live for God and they emulate that and they follow that. And that's what God desires. His will is emulation. His will is praise, verse 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Did did you do God's will this week in your driving? Oh, man. I know, I bring that one up all the time because that's the one I've got to work on all the time. But did you thank God for the driving situations you were in this week? (laughs) <laughs> God, uh, you're either asleep or, or, uh, or, you're, or you're dead this morning. I hope that's not the case. Okay. D- did you? You see, um, we're supposed to give him the sacrifice of praise continually, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. I, we're just in everything give thanks. Did you, did you thank God for the doctor's report? His will is praise. Verse 16, his will is doing good and giving, goodness and giving. Do good and communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, who's pleased? God is. And he talks about pleasing him in verse 21, which ties this verse in with it and reminds us that all these things are part of doing the will of God. His will is obedience. Verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you. God has a will for every believer. First, that they be part of a local New Testament church and that they learn to follow authority. And they say, well, come on, I don't see where church membership is taught. Read your Bible. Obey them They have the rule of your submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. Who's he talking about? He's talking about a church. And, and God-given authorities in the church who watch for your spiritual souls. That is what he's talking about. So every person is supposed to be part of a local church. Everyone is supposed to be growing in that local church. And everyone has to need to have, needs to have a right a picture of and view of the authority God has given in that church. And boy, it sounds like I'm just patting myself on the back. But God has taught that in his word. And this is God's word, and it's not my idea. And that is part of his will. 
So as I look at this list, I, I come to it and I say, oh, man, that's hard. Don't you? I, I don't think there's anyone in this room who can say, yeah, I got all those things down. No, maybe you can, if you can. I, wow. I'm impressed. Because the truth is, these things are not easy to do, but, but they're doable because Jesus the Christ bought you with his blood and provides the grace, the supernatural enabling to do these things, to follow his will and glorify him. Now the question is, are you? Will you? So if there's some areas you look at and you say, ah, man, I haven't got that one down. Then this would be a good week for you to give attention to that and not let the service go by and say, oh, we're done. Yeah, he's out. This would be a good time to say, you know, there are some things that need to change in my life, and by his grace this week, I, wanna, I want to do the will of God with Jesus as my helper. Will you make that decision? Or will you just leave this place and be the same person you were that you came in? That may sound harsh, but the decision and choice is yours. And it's what God wants from you. These aren't my ideas. They're his. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you.